Hey everybody, the February 2023 Roundup is brought to you by Fun Again Games. And hello everybody. You may notice the situation is a little different for me. I'm in the RV after many, many months of discussion and planning and all the rest of it. My wife Jen and I have finally embarked on an epic two-month road trip. We are heading southward bound right now towards uh, Las Vegas for the Dice Tower West convention. Hopefully I can see some of you there. And then after that, once the show is over, we're going to keep on heading south and spend a month at the Grand Canyon in lots of national parks in uh, Utah like Arches and Zion and uh, then make a long slow, slow, slow drive back up north and uh, every step of the way, I'm going to occasionally be getting out this big complex uh, cacophony of cameras and whatnot. Here's one right here that I've got set up so that I will still be able to continue to bring you Rotto Runs Through content, like the monthly Rotto Roundup, as I'm doing today. And there'll still be run-throughs and all kinds of stuff. I'll still be appearing in R&Rs, or now they're R&R&Rs, because let's face it, Chris George is way too good to not have coming back to all the episodes. He is so fantastic. He and Ruel get along great. I jump in for some additional content. Sorry, that's neither here nor there. If you didn't know, folks, the R&R&R show, Ruel, Rado, and Room and Board, um, our most recent episode, Top 15 Games It Destroyed Other Games, seems to be very, very popular. People are really enjoying that. What the heck? I'll go ahead and put a link for it. Right? No, over there. Everything's backwards. I don't know what's going on here. But, folks... Today, I am going to be telling you about all the games that Jen and I played in the month of February. February was a short month. Jen was actually gone for two weeks of it on an epic trip to Thailand, where she studied with world-renowned glass artists to improve her craft. And uh, she's been back for just over two weeks, and then we're hitting the road again. But anyway... Because of the shorter nature of February and the fact that Jen was gone and we were doing a lot of preparation for the road trip we're on right now, well, we only got, or I should say I only got 11 games played this month. And I'm going to count them down to you from least favorite to most favorite, like always. There were some very, very good games. But before we get to that, folks, we are going to hear from the contributors. And uh, gang, take it away. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey folks, uh, so I played a few games this month, both on and off the channel, and uh, as we must always do, let's talk about them uh, in order. So uh, number six on my list was Marvel Age of Heroes. This is a game where you are playing as, you know, various X-Men, which oh, I don't know why they call it, didn't call it X-Men, but I guess Marvel has a better name, uh, more more clout in the name or whatever. I don't know. I like X-Men. I would have played it if it was X-Men Age of Heroes. But anyway, I digress. This is a, a worker placement game. It's a competitive game, which you might not expect with uh, the Marvel theme, uh, where you are sending your heroes to um, you know, rec recruit new students and allies and stuff, go on missions where you're fighting against classic Marvel villains, uh, specifically X-Men villains, um, 
and uh, and it is made by uh, one of the designers of Lords of Waterdeep, so it shares a lot in common with that. Now, uh, the reason it's on the bottom of my list is not just because Net uh, Nightcrawler isn't a playable character, um, though that's in there. Um, just I think this game plays a little bit too long. I think that the the combos and the different abilities and character stuff is really interesting, and if it played in about I don't know maybe half or two-thirds of the time, uh, this would definitely be higher. As it is, it plays a little long for my taste, but uh, it has some really cool stuff in there. And if you're a big fan of the X-Men, like I am, there's, you know, plenty to love. Uh, now, up next is number five. This is a game called Nut Hunt, and this was not a game that I would have normally played um, because it's a family weight game. I think this is a great family weight game. Family weight is just not, uh, a, you know, a generally something that I tend to go for, um, but I'm really glad I did. Now, the reason I played this is because I was commissioned to make an RTFM tutorial for it, uh, which if you are interested in this game, I highly recommend checking out. I had a lot of fun putting it together. I think it's funny, even if you don't end up playing the game. But uh, this is a game where you are a, a scurry of squirrels where uh, who are placing out your squirrels throughout a forest, and you're trying to complete pathways between different um, locations that are sort of randomly placed out, and you get random objectives. But there's also a fox that's going through the forest and kind of disrupting things, scattering your squirrels about. Now, this game is, I think, surprising in how much uh, strategic depth it has for such a light game. So it's a game that I think kids can absolutely play and understand, but that uh, adults will still get something out of. So I do definitely appreciate it for that. It does definitely skew in the lightweight um, side of things, and I tend to go a little bit heavier. That's the only reason it's as low as it is, because it is charming, it is solid, and I, I think that it could definitely be a hit um, amongst uh, families of all kinds. And there are uh, ways to make it a little bit more strategic, a little bit more, you know, bitey, uh, if you want that. Uh, so my number four is The Last Kingdom. This is a game made by John D. Clare based on The Last Kingdom, uh, which is a Netflix show, which itself was based on a book series, which he uh, informed me of, which I did not know. And while I don't, I haven't watched the show or read the books, I don't have any connection to the IP, I did still like this game a lot. It was, uh, it's two to five player game, though really you want to play it at the higher player counts, where you've got a little bit of area control amongst five regions in England, because this is Dark Ages England, and it's currently being invaded by the Danes. So you got to kind of rally the Saxons together to fight it off, or you want to go with the Danes and, you know, dominate. But where you are, uh, where you start the game is not necessarily where you'll finish the game or where you'll be in the middle because you can switch your allegiances um, a lot throughout the game. And one of the big things about this game, especially at higher player count, is negotiating with the other players of like, hey, listen, I know you're currently on the sides of the Danes, but if you switch over to the sides of the Saxons, we could go over and do this and it'd be good for both of us. Um, so there's a lot of that kind of uh, diplomacy and like, trying to get people on your side and, and talking things out. But also there's the the aspect of it of like doing a big switcheroo um, at a sort of an opportune moment and and uh, playing your cards right to, uh, to really surprise people in, in that way. So there's a lot going on. Now, I don't have any connection to the IP. So that, that didn't draw me in. I would still play this game uh, without that. Um, but... I think that it would be a it would be an even bigger hit for people who do already like the show because um, it does seem like it really ties into uh, the characters of the show because you're playing as a character and they have different abilities and they do seem to really connect and and I actually happened to or I got the uh, the chance to play this game with uh, the designer John DeClaire on the run through that we did together and uh, he was and in the final thoughts we talked a lot about you know how that 
went into the design of the game. So you definitely tried to get elements of the show into the game so much so that people who maybe don't play as many games but uh, but like the show will find a lot to love there. But it's also going to be good for people who, you know, uh, who don't know the show, like myself. Um, so that was my number four. Number three is uh, damage control. This one is interesting. This is a Marvel-themed deck builder, but man, does this throw the idea of a deck builder on its head. Because technically, yes, it is a deck builder. It follows those constructions. But almost all of the things that you'd expect from a deck builder, this does a little bit differently. You don't have a big display of cards not exactly. You have this pile of rubble that, uh, because you were playing as a cleanup crew uh, after the superheroes have done their big battle and left the city in a, in a mess. So you're just trying to collect all the artifacts that they left behind. And, uh, and that's great. If you can, you can collect them. They have cool abilities that they do, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. But you're not going to score any points for any of the cards you get unless you put them in your vault. And when you put them in your vault, you can't use them anymore. So, this is a game about keeping your deck really lean because when you get those cards, you're going to want to stash them away for points. But those cards also have really cool abilities, so you won't want to stash them right away, but the game can go really quickly. This is a game where the game, I've seen the game end in three rounds, of each player having three turns. So you need to make like use of your time as well as possible because you will not have a lot of time to build up the kind of combos that you might expect in other games but but it, it forces you to make such interesting decisions that i really really enjoyed it and and i absolutely think that like this is a very refreshing take on the deck builder because you i feel like when you play a deck builder you kind of know what you're gonna get or at least you think you do this one, I was very pleasantly surprised to see how much it is doing to adapt that um, that style of, of gameplay and that, you know, what seems like a tried and true formula. No, this there is absolutely some fresh stuff here. Um, and it's also a game that's easy enough to pick up that you can play kind of with anyone. So, uh, so Dance Control is absolutely worth taking. Now, I will say that I, I didn't enjoy the solo mode very much, but I thought the two, two to four player works well. And it's amazing how quickly you can make this deck builder go. Um, so that is my number three, Damage Control. Now my number two is not a new game, but it was new to me when I played it, and I kind of want to talk about it, and that's Fayu. This is a Freedom and Freeze game, and it is a game where you are playing as a worker in ancient Egypt, and you're working for the pharaoh, and so because of that, you don't own anything. Um, you, whenever you are building stuff on this map, that's the pharaohs. The pharaoh built, uh, I mean, you built it, but you built it for the pharaoh. So it's not like you're playing in your player color, but what you do get to keep are the resources that you're able to get from the stuff that you put out and the money that you've made for doing so. And the money is the points. Um, but this is also a, uh, I wouldn't say a deck builder. It's not a deck builder, but you are, it's like a hand management game, I, I would say. Um, and it has this really interesting way of playing your cards because you don't just get your cards back. Um, you'll play your cards and then you can take an action to get some of your cards back, but you get them back in the order, in the reverse order that you played them. So the timing of everything that you play is great. Now, I will say that this, I mean, kind of like all Freedom of Race games, I, I don't love the visuals of this one, but I do think it is an excellent game. Um, and so if you've heard good things about it, maybe you were unsure because like, yeah, you know, the way that it looks is, is the way that it looks. Uh, I definitely say give it a try because it is it is a very solid game. Um, 
But I want to talk about my number one uh, game. Uh, this is Set of Watch Swords of the Coin. There's a new set of watch uh, uh, Kickstarter coming out, but I wasn't playing the, the prototypes. I was playing one of the ones that's been released already, so you can get this one right now if you want. And this is a game where you are playing as a team of adventurers going on a quest to defeat the you know ultimate baddie at the end of this gauntlet of locations that you're going through. Now, it seems like it's the same kind of fantasy quest games that you've seen a million times before, but this does some really unique stuff with that uh, genre. Now, and also, I want to mention right at the gate, Technically, this is uh, up to four players. Um, I would play this solo nine times out of ten. I would also play a two-player. Um, the mechanics of it are identical. Uh, it's just how many players, uh, how many heroes that you're controlling personally, which is why I think it works great as a solo game. It can run a little bit long for a solo game, but uh, I, I didn't mind. Now, what this game does is you have your heroes. They have wildly different abilities. They're powered by dice. Every hero has three dice, different shapes. And you can use those for basic attacks, or you can use them to power the abilities that you have. When you are using them, you are in a fight with a line of enemies that are coming towards your campfire. And your campfire is bright enough that it will uh, illuminate one, two, or three enemies. So you'll see a little bit of what's coming, but not all of it. When things get revealed or when they get close to you, they might activate abilities. So there's a lot of positional uh, strategy and you have a lot of cards that can move things around or attack maybe the first creature or the second creature, something like that. Uh, so there's a ton of strategy in how you are dealing with the threats at hand. Uh, also, I think the, um, the, the classes that you're working with are very different and there's multiple, there's a, a bunch of different combinations you can do. I mean, there's, in this one that I got, there were six classes. You play with four at a time. And if you were adding in, you know, the original game as well, or one of the new Kickstarter things that are coming out, endless possibilities with how you can uh, arrange these uh, these different factions or these different uh, hero classes. But the really interesting thing is every round, before you see what you're up against, you're going to choose one of your heroes to not be in the fight, to instead... Uh, like do the campfire actions. And these are very important actions, but it means that they are out of the fight. So the actions might be like healing your heroes, or they might be like scouting ahead, seeing what enemies are coming or what locations are coming and potentially swapping them in for something that might be a little bit better. Um, or, you know, you might have some abilities that sort of clean up the, uh, the end boss like scenario, make it a little easier for you, other things like that, or buying uh, different items that you can equip for each of the heroes. There's so much going on here for this tiny little box that I cannot help but, but recommend this to, to everyone. And this is my number one uh, for sure. Like it was, I'm not gonna say that any of the others were bad. I liked all the other games that I played, um, but it was an easy choice for me what my number one game was. So that's Set of Watch, Swords of the Coin. If you want to see more about that, and I recommend you should, uh, then definitely check out the run-through of that. But that's my uh, top six games this month. Um, so thank you all for watching. I'll pass it on to the next person. All right, see you, folks. Hi, friends. Ruel here, and I'm here to talk about my favorite games that I played in February. Um, one of them was right here on the Rattle Runs-Through channel, and it's my number five for the month, the search for lost species uh, this is another deduction game from the team of designers matthew o'malley and ben rossett uh, they originally uh, did um, the search for planet x which for a deduction game i was so surprised i loved it and the search for lost species this is a standalone expansion does more of the same but even better um, and uh, again once again i was surprised that i liked it as much as i did uh, this is an app driven game and you are a scientist trying to find a lost species of animal. Now, the theme itself 
cool theme, but I'm more of the sci-fi guy, so I, I really like the science of uh, the Search for Planet X. But this one also makes you feel like you're a scientist, and I love this about these games. They're so immersive, and uh, here you're using the app to you know test your theories on where this lost species is. Um, it's a lot. It's similar to Planet X if you played that, but. The one cool thing they do that is very different is it has a spatial element. So, for instance, this case uh, or in this uh, game, the birds are the ones that you're trying to find, like in a specific like uh, hexagon shape uh, or four hexagon uh, hexagons in, in a row or in this little um, you know shape that you're trying to find. It's really cool. Uh, once again, all the different animals have different logic rules uh, that they uh, follow, and it's up to you to deduce uh, where the heck the lost species is. A uh, very clever game. Uh, check out the run-through on the channel. It was really uh, interesting. We got to uh, do the run-through with one of the designers, Matthew O'Malley, so it was really neat to hear his process and talk about uh, him talking about the game, and um, that's why it was a hit for me this month in February, my number five, The Search for Lost Species. Moving on to number four, I played uh, Marvel Remix for the first time, and I loved it. I had originally played uh, Fantasy Realms at, uh, actually just for the first time at PAX U and back in December. Really enjoyed it, and of course, if you're going to give me a choice between Fantasy theme and Marvel theme, you know, I'm all about the Marvel theme. I, I know Richard is too. Um, it, it's it's wonderful. Uh, it's got all the characters that you've grown to love over the years, and uh, just like Fantasy Realms, it's a quick playing uh, card game, but this one's really one of those games that falls in my wheelhouse it's uh quick um you know quick to play and also very low rules overhead so you're not stuck reading a 30 page rule book right um i always appreciate that about games and the thing is for this type of game to work for me it's if it's going to be low rules overhead give me some really nice decision points throughout the game marvel remix has it every turn oh it's excruciating sometimes like oh i'm trying to find a certain card to combo with another card to get me more points but it's got that push your luck element. Do I keep? Do I draw and try to find it, or am I just going to be content with what I have and sort of try to make my hand work? Um, because once you play ten cards between you and your opponents, the game's over. So it goes by pretty quickly. You're never going to score everything you want, but sometimes the luck of the draw will help you out. That you know, some people will complain about the luck of draw, but you know what? It works for this game because it's so quick and um, just so satisfying. You know, it's the really tense uh, moments. It reminds me sort of a, a Kinesia style feel, where you know you have a couple of choices, and either one could be the one to score you the most points. You just don't know, and I, I love that about Marvel Remix. That's why it's my number four for the month. Number three for the month is Point City. Now, I'm doing a preview on my channel. I'm going to be doing a live stream when it, um, the Kickstarter launches. I believe uh, Richard um, may have already played it. But, folks, if you are a fan of Point Salad, which I am, if you're a fan of that game and you're more of a gamer, like a hardcore or veteran gamer, Point City is the one for you. Uh, it takes the smooth, uh, easy turn structure of Point Salad where you're taking two cards from a tableau and then eventually at the end of the game you're going to score depending on what you have. But it adds an element of engine building, which I loved. It's got it reminds me a lot of a Splendor, uh, where you are you know you collect these cards and it's going to give you you know ongoing uh, uh, bonuses or in this case ongoing resources. And those resources allow you to buy the buildings that are going to go into your city. So uh, like Point Salad, um, you know you have one side of the card that has a resource, the other side has a uh, scoring uh, um, uh, point. Uh, but in this game, Point City, you have resources on one side and a building on the other, and that building is going to score you points. Now, 
unlike point salad, you can't just draft a, you know, um, a point card or a couple of resources or veggies. In this case, you have to be able to pay for that uh, building that's on, on the tableau. So if you don't have the resources yet, you cannot um, dra draft that card. So you can draft, you know, say two resources or you can draft on the top of the deck, which has resources. Um, and then on the flip side, it'll have the buildings. So if you, uh, you know, draw two resources, then the next cards that go in the tableau, you'll flip those over to have buildings and vice versa. If you draft, you know, a building, it's going to come over, uh, flip it over to a resource, uh, which sort of reminds me of the way Targi works as well. There's so much to like about this game, folks. The, again, another one that's in my wheelhouse, low rules overhead, a bit more than, um, than you know, point salad, of course, but enough that um, it's going to give you a little more meteor experience. And I, I really like this one. That's why it's my number three of the month, Point City, coming soon from Flat Out Games. Number two, I just streamed this this past week. And speaking of this weekend, uh, if you notice what I'm wearing, I've got my hat, I've got my um, hoodie on. It's cold here in Southern California, folks. And this past weekend, it snowed in Southern California. I know for the rest of the world, that's not really a big thing. But here in Southern California, it was huge news. And um, it was snowing. I was It was such a, a weird thing, out of place, element type thing. But it was so much fun. And it just reminded me that I had so much fun playing Rolling Heights um, this weekend. Um, I live streamed this for the Tabletop Live Network. That's a monthly event where we stream uh, games for all weekend long with the Brothers Murph and all kinds of collaborators from around the world. Rolling Heights from AEG. I demoed it two years ago. I thought it was really cool. It's good. I thought it was interesting. I, you know, it's a, a you're rolling meeples as workers, and how they land is how what they determines the action or resources you're going to get. I thought that was so unique, but I wasn't totally sold on it. I was like, is this going to work? Is it going to be a little fiddly, folks? This is a game by John D. Clare, and of course it works. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, I I could not get enough of this game. I played a two-player game. There's a solo version as well that's supposed to work really, uh, really great too. Um, I just, I love the bag building element of this. So you start with a couple of basic worker meeples, right? You roll them, you're going to get resources to build buildings on, uh, you know, this uh, six, uh, two by three grid uh, board, which, you know, is really cool. Um, it's at the end of the game, it's got this really neat look. The table presence is just chef's kiss, folks. It is awesome. Uh, but as you're rolling the meeples, you're going to collect other meeples um, from other buildings that you build. So some of those meeples will help you re-roll other meeples, uh, gets you extra resources or do, um, uh, different types of abilities. Oh, it is so cool. I cannot recommend this one highly enough. It's so good. So surprising to me. I, I loved it. Um, you know, it's John DeClaire. We're big fans of his here on this channel and other channels. I mean, as I say, are you down with JDC? Yeah, you know me. All right. My number one game for the month. I got to play this with my buddy Daryl. Uh, Beer and Bread. This is Scott Alms game, and boy, oh boy, it is absolutely brilliant. I love this game so much. It's a multi-use card game, but... It's really interesting. You're trying to bake bread or brew beer, right? Those are your two things in this little village that you're in. That's that's just your jam. But you're using the cards really interesting. So you can either get them for resources or you're gonna, they're going to have different abilities or scoring conditions. And depending on how you play them, they're gonna, they may come back into your hand. Well, what I find very interesting is each round, the way you use the cards is um, different, the way you're going to uh, get rid of cards. So in the first round, you and your opponent, this is a two-player game only, you have your deck, uh, hand of cards, and you play one, and then you pass your the rest of your cards to your opponent. So it's sort of got that you know dra uh, sushi go style drafting where you take one, play it, uh, and you give the rest to your opponent. But here's the interesting thing, folks: 
the next round, you're not going to do that with your opponent. You are going to be able to play cards and then trade with a market. There's going to be a market of cards that you're going to trade. So uh, a little indirect action there. And then the following round, you go back to training your partner. So you do that. I think it's over seven rounds. Um, you're managing resources. And what's really cool, I liked about it the most is, you know, you can play a card for resources, right? You get those resources and, you know, hopefully you'll get enough to eventually uh, brew your beers or bake your bread. But that card at the end round is coming back to you. So a really cool tip that uh, my buddy Daryl gave me was, hey, you can play a resource card now, but think about it later because that resource card may have a scoring goal that you'll want to go to later. So you're not always trying to play the cards that'll help you immediately, but you know, hopefully in the uh, you know in the long run. So wonderful. I I'm a big fan of Scott Alms as well. We were just talking about John DeClaire. Scott Alms is another favorite designer of mine. Boy, this one for a two-player game, folks. Highly recommend it. It is outstanding. That's why it's my number one game of the month, Beer and Bread. Okay, um, that's it for me. I'm looking forward to a, a month of awesome games here in March. And I hope you've uh, played some ga great games as well. Let us know in the comments below what you played and what's, uh, what's on your hit list. All right, talk to you later. Bye. Hey, everybody. Kimberly here with my February Roundup. And I'm excited because I've got a handful of games to share with you, uh, one of which is a game that I played Two are games that I did run-throughs for the channel. So I'm going to start my list off with number three, Homeworld Fleet Command. This is my third favorite, and I did do a run-through on the channel for this. It's a, a, a two-player battle game, player versus player, where each player takes on a faction, and they are going to navigate, mobilize, and fight with their units in this hex space board. And every single scenario, which there are 10 in the campaign game, ask a player to have a particular goal. And if they can achieve that goal, then they're going to win the scenario. And of course, the other player, if they can either achieve theirs or prevent the other player from achieving uh, the goal, then they're going to win. But the cool thing about this is that players are activating their units with cards. And these cards, are going to do really cool things, allowing players to maybe respond because there are interrupt cards. And so it's all about when do you fire your units? And once every unit in uh, both factions team uh, go, then that's gonna be the end of the round. And then you reactivate every unit, and then every unit's gonna be able to play again in the following round. And of course you keep playing until one person has achieved the goal. Now this makes my third favorite on the list because there are a handful of battle or player versus player games that I feel maybe a little bit more connected to than Homeworld Fleet Command, but this is IP. So if you have connection to this as a, uh, a video game, then perhaps that might be right up your alley. But for me, um, the Taedon and Kushan forces are not necessarily near and dear to my heart. I'm going to move on to my number two now. This is a game that I played um, just here in my basement. I finally got my hands on it. I heard a lot of good things about it and I was very very pleasantly surprised uh, and delighted by Evergreen. This is a game where players are going to vie for biome cards that allow them to grow out their own player board full of um, trees and bushes and lakes and uh, just wonderful things that allow them to grow all these different biomes like an ice area there's the the grasslands there's the rocky kind of mountain area and there's a swamp 
But the cool thing about this game is that it is in player order who takes what card. And there's always one more card than the amount of players. And the remaining card is going to go up to a central playing area that essentially is like the fertility of those different biome regions. And at the end of the game, if you have a fully grown super tall tree in the area that has for all the different areas, you get to multiply each tree times the number of the fertility symbols. So there's just a really interesting interplay of taking cards to grow an area or leaving a card that allows you to get more multipliers for those particular trees in those biomes. It's a lovely game, takes less than an hour to play, wonderful features, and a really nice um, abstract game that captured my attention. I'm gonna move on to my number one for the month and this is Frostpunk the Board Game. Wow, did I like this game. This game really tops my charts. It's such an emotional experience. I found that the game took a long time to play, but I don't mind long games and I don't like spending a lot of time with my friends because this is a cooperative game where players are trying to keep a generator running to warm this frost ridden land. This is a post-apocalyptic. There's there's nobody, there's maybe survivors in all these far reaches, but you're trying to keep your group of people, your community alive. You pass laws that allow you to do special things and maybe break the rules. You're going to go out and gather resources. You are going to build really cool buildings. Of course, you're going to have to shelter and feed your people. There's just a lot to like here because the game has normal and hard levels. It has different setup for different kinds of games. And of course it has different scenarios that you could run through that changes the configuration of the board and all kinds of starting resources. So this game is a hard game. It is a challenging game, but it is a very, very satisfying game. Uh, I really, really enjoyed my number one for February, which is Frostpunk, the board game. All right. I'll see you next time. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. All right. Hi, everyone. I'm coming to you from the beautiful, sunny state of Hawaii. I'm on vacation, but I still wanted to talk about five games that I played last month that really stood out to me. So if you want to know more about these games, then stay tuned for this list. And I'll start uh, talking about number five. Number five was a game that I played called Shadow Rift. Now, Shadow Rift is actually a bit of an older game. It came out in 2012, uh, but this was the first time that I actually got a chance to play it. It is a cooperative deck building game, and I've played plenty of cooperative games, and I've played plenty of deck builders, but not that many cooperative deck builders. Uh, it's got major kind of like tower defense vibes, and it also reminds me a lot of Eon's End, if you've ever played that 
sort of franchise. Um, in the game, in Shadow Rift, you will be protecting the city from these imposing bad guys. You get to choose which bad guys, which types of bad guys are going to be attacking the city before you play. So you can you you can play as the zombies. You can play as ghosts. You can play as um, all, werewolves or all kinds of different monsters. So that totally changes the gameplay. It's very modular, which I think is nice. It gives it a lot of replayability. Um, and you're basically just trying to protect the city from them by gathering more villagers, recruiting more villagers to join your uh, city, and things like that. Um, you can either win by building enough walls around the city to protect it or by closing the rifts that the enemies are coming out of. So there's kind of a few different win conditions. I think the reason why it's number five on my list and not higher is because in my play of it, I don't know if it was the player count, we played it with three, or it was the enemies that we chose, but there wasn't a ton of tension in the game. Like There was never any point where I was worried that we were going to lose. I felt like we had it generally under control the whole time which in a cooperative game can kind of lead to a little bit of stagnation. But I think it was probably just a weird combination of the way that we played it. And uh, I'm excited to, to kind of try this one again. But anyways, that is Shadow Rift. Now, number four on my list is a game that actually recently fulfilled from Kickstarter. It's a game called Stationfall. Now, Stationfall is a social deduction game, a hidden role type game, but it doesn't include... It doesn't require you to be good at lying, really, and it doesn't really have a lot of that kind of deception that your typical social deduction game might have. Um, the interesting part is, so you'll you'll be um, more, you'll be a character that is uh, trying to um, figure out what to do on this space station that is crashing into Earth, right? But each of the characters has different motives and different ways to score points. So the interesting part is. You will have a character assigned to you that you are going to score points for at the end of the game, but everybody has the chance to take actions as every character. So there might be, in the game we played, there were three players, but there were 12 total characters, right? So you get to, you can move all kinds of different characters, even if it is your opponent's character. You may not know that it's your opponent's character, but you can sort of start to foil their plans. Now, the interesting part is the only way that you can get people to stop moving your character or taking actions with your character is by revealing who you are. And in revealing it, you can basically make sure nobody else moves them around, but at the same time, you also reveal your win conditions and everybody knows what you're going for and they can try to stop you. So it's got a really interesting tension. I like the social deduction element, but also there's like a really interesting kind of worker placement puzzle and you're trying to complete tasks. The, the All the players seem super asymmetric. There are some players that really want to get off the ship and try to make it back to Earth safely. Some players want to go down with the ship. Some players just want to uh, cause chaos and uh, eliminate other players. So there's a lot of variability in the game. I've played it only one time, but I'm really excited to try it again. And that is Stationfall, number four on my list. Now, number three on my list is a cooperative legacy game called Jurassic World, The Legacy of Island Ublar. Uh, this is a game from Funko Games, and it is potentially, I don't want <laughs> to jinx anything, but it might be potentially the first legacy game that I ever finished. I told my friends in my game, my game group that I've never finished a legacy game, and that is a, a scar upon my, my board gamer record. And, and so we started this game to try to... Uh, make amends to that and and so we've been playing through the the campaign of Jurassic World and it's been really fun 
first of all, I have to say the production is amazing. The different carnivores and herbivores that we've been unlocking, all of the little miniatures are really well done. And uh, it is just a really nice looking game, which is really cool. Um, <clears throat> but as far as the gameplay goes, it's it's been really fun. Like I mentioned in Shadow Rift, my issue with it being that there wasn't a ton of tension. I do feel like every time we're playing Jurassic World, there is that bit of tension where it's like, okay, I feel like we have a leg up here and we know what we're doing, but at the same time, anything could happen, anything could go wrong, and uh, a lot of things um, can keep us from winning. So uh, we have gotten a little bit better as the campaign has progressed with trying to predict what's going to happen, but <clears throat> it's definitely one of those campaigns with a lot of uh, events that were are revealed and you have to, you know, scrap the task that you were working on to go finish this objective and try to um, make sure that all of the, <laughs> the the power doesn't go out or something like that at the same time as mitigating all these dinosaurs that are roaming around and trying to eat you. So it, it's a very sort of fun and a great intro into legacy games. I, I feel like there, I definitely, I've tried a few, like I've tried some Charterstone and Pandemic Legacy and those ones, and I just couldn't make it through the campaign, mostly because of commitment things and, and stuff like that. So I definitely am excited about finishing this one out. It's only 10 episodes. I think we're on heading into the eighth one. So I'm really excited to, to continue on with this one. But as far as the game goes, I've been I've been enjoying it, and it's not too heavy, but it still feels like there's a progression of the story happening. So I'm excited. I've been excited about that one. So that's number three on my list: Jurassic World: The Legacy of Isla Nublar. <clears throat> now, number two on my list is a game called Destinies. So Destinies continues to put out different uh, expansions to the base game. I'm currently just, you know, I'm behind, but I'm playing through the base game right now. Destinies is a storytelling game, uh, kind of an open world, choose your own adventure style game. And it definitely seems like the type of game that would be cooperative, but it's actually competitive. And I think that's really interesting. In the game, you're going to be playing as a character that is trying to control their own destiny, right? So every player all the players at the table each have their own special destiny, destiny, hence the name, that they are going for. And while they do, you know, <laughs> there's also two options that they can choose from, which I think is interesting because when I've played, I've kind of gone for both of them at, a, at the same time and seeing which ones, because some of them require you to uncover different items or some of them require you to complete certain tasks. And if it ends up leaning one way or the other, you don't have to decide until the end of the game, basically. So I think it's really fun. It's kind of the first of those storytelling type games that I've played. Um, I played Forgotten Waters a little bit, but that one is a little bit more scripted, I feel like. I haven't gotten into the Gloom Havens and the Frost Havens and things like that, but I definitely am excited to continue on in Destinies. It's been really fun to kind of, you know, and also experiment with the app-based game. Uh, it's definitely pretty heavily app-based, which is, uh, I think some people may not like, but um, for me, you know, the, ad the addition to digital to the digital technology kind of adds to the experience, and I think that's kind of cool. So um, all in all, I think Destinies is a, is a really cool kind of intro into these uh, storytelling games. It could get you into something along the lines of Sleeping Gods or some of those larger kind of open world games that have become much more popular over the recent years. I will say as far as like the 
production production goes the production is great is it completely necessary that's neither here nor there i'm not gonna discuss that but i have really enjoyed my couple plays of destinies and i'm really excited to continue learning this one and, and playing some more of the expansion so that is number two on my list for february that's destinies and number one overall on my list and i think this may be a little bit different from some of the other contributors to this sort of end of the month roundup um it's a game called garden bow from 25th century games and garden bow is sort of a lighter kind of family weight game i would say it's maybe a little bit uh it's got a little bit of thinkiness to it but it's definitely one that i feel is easy to pick up and it's really approachable because the theme you are playing as different gardeners and you're planting these seeds which turn into plants which then turn into flowers right and you you kind of have to plan ahead to um to create these different sets and, and accomplish the objectives that you have in your hand. Now, this is definitely, a, like I said, it's a lighter game. Um, it did not take super long to learn, and maybe hour long for two people. was, But it was really nice. Uh, we played this on Valentine's Day. It was a great one for me and my wife to sort of play together and learn at the same time. It was... You know, you, you have sort of these different puzzles that you're having to figure out throughout the game. So your actions are determined on a rondelle. I love a good rondelle mechanic. Uh, so this one was, it's, it's, I feel like it's kind of how my brain works anyway. So I love the rondelle. And then, you know, the sort of engine of having to, okay, I've got to make seeds so that I can get these plants to plant on top of the seeds and I have to place the right ones in the right spaces so that I can then overlay the flowers on top of it. I think it's it's a very clever, multi-layered puzzle that is tactical, but also strategic at times. You have to really start planning ahead and thinking about the objectives. And it was really tight. In a two-player game, I think I ended up winning by maybe two or three points in like 130-point spread or something like that. So it was uh, a really fun experience. Part of it, I'm sure, is biased for the fact that I did play it on Valentine's Day with my wife. But generally, I thought it was a great game. Definitely worth checking out. I uh, and it was the probably the favorite game, my favorite game that I played in February. So, anyways, that's my roundup for games, my top five games that I played in February, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in the next Crowd Sorcery. And and if you want to, you can check out my channel. And might I suggest a game? Okay, that was some fun stuff. Although it occurs to me now, I didn't actually mention. Well, excuse me. <clears throat> who Alex was. Uh, you know, Alex Hart just joined the channel a couple of months ago. He is doing the bi-weekly crowdsourcer where he and I get together and talk about a bunch of games that are earning their crowdfunding campaigns in the coming weeks. If you haven't caught it yet, uh, Alex is doing a fantastic job so far. Uh, you can hit that eye again over there in the top right corner of the screen. And uh, Alex, welcome to the channel, pal. Um, and uh, apparently he's following in my footsteps by doing a little bit of vacationing of his own and yet he still found time to let you know about some games alex is great man what a team i've got here on the channel absolutely fantastic i know not everybody was able to make it for the roundup but that's okay maybe we'll hear from the other folks next month anyway folks um that's enough of the ado let's uh not go any further of it let's get to the 11 games that jen and i played over the month uh, starting with number 11, Oracalcum. Although, here's the interesting thing, folks. Um, Oracalcum comes in at the bottom of the list, and 
it's it's not you or Calcum. It's me. The reality is, it is a 4X game, which I was very excited about. You know, what are the 4Xs? The exploring, uh, exploring, expanding, exploiting, and exterminating, which are basically kind of civilization-building games where you are doing a lot of warfare and stuff like that. And the thing that got me so excited about this one is that the extermination part wasn't attacking other players. Uh, in fact, players don't even exist on the same map. I've got my map I'm exploring. You've got your map you're exploiting, etc., uh, etc. Et we just fight the evil monsters that are rampaging these islands that we are trying to settle on as we rebuild up Atlantis after it's sunk. And we're trying to bring the refugees from Atlantis and find them a new home and all that. So I was so excited about this game because, hey, we don't attack each other. And it works really well, but... I gotta be honest, um, as a two-player game, Jen and I were very disappointed that to make the two-player scaling work, designer Bruno Cathala, it wouldn't be a Bruno Cathala game if there wasn't some kind of just, hey, let's just throw in a little bit of screwage, take that nature, and uh, Jen and I couldn't stand it, that every turn we were always obligated to try to pick one card that was available that we had to purposely remove and uh, destroy it so that our opponent couldn't get it. So we were constantly, every turn, trying to screw our opponent over, and like, oh, that was so disappointing. Now, that stuff doesn't exist at the higher player count, so I expect I would enjoy the game quite a bit more at higher player count, but what's even better, folks, oh my gosh, this game is fantastic. Fantastic as a solo game. And I don't think a lot of people realize that there, if you go to Board Game Geek and go to the Orcalcom um, page, there are files you can download and print out, as I did. You can see right over there, I filmed a solo run-through in my monthly uh, recluse show for February, and I played all the way through, and it's phenomenal. This game is a much better solo game than it is a multiplayer game because even, uh, you know, they tweak some other stuff. The combat in the solo mode, I think, is vastly superior. The way you fight the monsters in the solo mode is much more fun and engaging and thought-provoking than it is in the regular mode. So, um, as a multiplayer game, Orc Outcome comes in at the bottom of the list. If I were evaluating it only as a solo game, it would rank very, very high. But, um, you know, mostly I rank everything relative to two players. So as a two-player game, Orcalcum comes in at the bottom of the list at number 11. Okay, then uh, let's go on to number 10 on the list, the Mists Over Carcassonne. Now, this was another exclusive video that uh, uh, for backers of the show, you know, either on Patreon or here on YouTube, Jen and I sat down and played through an entire game of this cooperative take on Carcassonne. And oh my gosh, folks, it works so well. <clears throat> really, really sharp. And I was surprised. Really, really challenging. This has got to be one of the harder co-op games I have played in a long time. Just even base difficulty levels. And the game comes with like six different difficulty levels that are part of like, hey, we turn on more and more features. And I wanted to play with all the at the high end with all the really cool extra features, but the game destroyed us over and over again. We could only get wins on the really simple, easy baby step levels where half of the cool features were turned off. And that was kind of a bummer. I wish that they had made the difficulty level variants separate from all the features, because I want to play with all the features, but just not in a game that just absolutely crushes us into the dirt. So that's one of the reasons it comes in a little bit lower, because it works really well. And also, by the way, if you're not interested in cooperative play, you can also use this Miss Over Car as an expansion for regular Carcassonne that just brings ghosts and um, you know haunted spooky things into a regular competitive game of Carcassonne. So that's kind of cool. We didn't try it like that, but the co-op game, we liked it, but again, 
I really wish they had uh, separated the difficulty scaling from all the cool features because uh, that was just an odd choice. Also, if I'll be honest, as a co-op game, it really kind of feels like, oh, it's a solo game because it plays exactly like Carcassonne. Hey, on my turn, I draw a tile. I pick where to place it. My turn is over. Your turn, you draw a tile. There's nothing to really make it feel cooperative. We don't share resources. We just take turns doing our stuff. And I mean, it could be considered a solo game that we're just all sitting and, you know, um, strategizing together. So I was kind of a bit bummed by that too. They could have done a little bit more limited communication maybe, or some kind of resource sharing. I don't know. So it's cool. It's really, really neat, but not exactly what I was looking for, which is why Miss Silver Carcassonne comes in at number 10 for the month. Okay. Then let's go on to number nine, um, Agueda. And I'm sorry, several people pointed out to me that I am pronouncing it wrong, including Paolo. My apologies, Paolo, um, that I that I got it wrong. But I'm going by the literal pronunciation that Google, if you go to Google Translate or you know pronunciation guide, this is how it says. It's Agueda. Regardless, folks, um, even though I'm pronouncing it wrong, the gameplay itself is stellar. You can go watch uh, my run-through for this. It's a uh, part of a... Big uh, three-game uh, crowdfunding campaign from 25th Century Games. Uh, last month, Kimberly and Ruel had covered the other two games. What were they? Donut Shop and Colorfield. And then Agueda was the third of the trilogy. And it's neat. Jen and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, now, I would say the reason it comes in a bit lower for us is because it is very lightweight. It's so pretty about the city of Agueda, which puts on yearly um, umbrella festivals, and they fill up their streets with umbrellas, and it's just gorgeous. It's a fun, solid little game of, what would you call it, um, umbrella drafting that kind of reminds me of an older game, Citrus. It has a, kind of the same idea of drafting from that game, but taken to another level. And uh, I always really like Citrus. I like uh, this game. It's just, and it has like a lot of nice variety with uh, different objectives that are chosen every time you play. So there's a, a lot of replayability baked in, but still at its heart, it's a fun, simple little gateway game and a little bit more lightweight than what Jen and I are generally looking for. But no doubt, we really enjoyed our time with it, and this would be a wonderful game to keep around to play with, um, you know, board game novices. Or, you know, it's almost even a next step game. It's still a little bit on the light side, but very, very sharp. Again, you can go check out my run through for this, um, you know, on the channel right now. There'll be a link for it down in the show notes. And uh, that was number nine, Agueda. Okay, and uh, what are we moving on to next? Hmm. Oh, right. It's uh, number eight, Deep Dive. And this was an interesting one because uh, this is part of a two-game campaign that's going to be launching, I believe, in the month of March. Two games, Deep Dive and um, Point City. Both games designed by the awesome trio of designers. What is it? Um, Molly Johnson, Stan Stankowitz, and... Oh, I'm so sorry, third guy whose name I always forget. But, um... Oh, Sean Melville, I think, I believe. Anyway, this trio of designers, uh, you know, and really they are the heart of flat out games. They have been on fire for the last few years, just knocking it out of the park. Of course, they uh, really set the world on fire uh, when they published or developed um, Cascadia. But Verdant, I mean, there's so many wonderful games. Uh, yeah, and um, Oh, geez, I, I can't even list them all. Um, and one of them, the, the next one that's coming up, is a very, very cool little push-your-luck game called Deep Dive. And uh, Amy and Maggie did a run-through for this for the channel. And Amy and Maggie and I did a co- 
uh, hosted Final Thoughts, where we actually talk amongst ourselves. Actually, we haven't yet. I'm actually planning on meeting them at the Dice Tower West convention, uh, you know, next week, and we're going to sit down here at this little dinette table and film our final thoughts. So you're going to get a sneak peek. I like the game quite a bit. Especially impressive is the fact, oh, it's all about penguins diving deep, deep, deep to go hunting to collect food. And the deeper you dive, the bigger risk you run of uh, coming across predators. But this is a push-your-luck game that has really smart uh, elements devoted to mitigating your luck. If you if you push your luck too hard and dive deep, yes, you wasted a turn, but that's going to be a shortcut to let you skip ahead to go to even potentially richer areas later in the game. And I thought that was really nicely done. There's a bunch of really cool set collection and point scoring that just works really nicely. And thematically, it's just delightful. There is actually so much you will learn about the real-life hunting behaviors of penguins that I certainly didn't know about um, from playing this game. They really worked hard to bring the theme to life. And it's sweet. It's charming. You know, it's a lightweight game. You know, in the same you know era, or you know, the same region as... Um, Oh, you, 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 um, uh, I can't think of like the famous one, uh, Can't Stop or, you know, Ink and Gold, you know, those kinds of games. But unlike a lot of previous Push Your Luck games, it works great as a two-player game, which Amy and Maggie demonstrated. And even more surprisingly, it works great as a solo game. And I'll be talking more about this uh, when, uh, when I meet up with Amy and Maggie. But suffice to say, Jen and I, or actually, no. Um, I didn't get a chance to play with Jen. I need to get the copy back so I can play with her. I've only played it as solo so far, and I was very impressed by it. But at the end of the day, it is still a very lightweight, family-friendly gateway game. There were two games in this little uh, two-in-one pack. This would be wonderful if I ever needed a almost party-level style game of pushing your luck and making some interesting choices and helping out adorable little penguins. Well, um, Deep Dive would certainly rate higher for that. But for Jens and my normal, more heavy-duty Euro gaming, uh, it's it's a sweet, lovely little trifle. I would always enjoy playing it, but it's just not our kind of thing. So it comes in at number eight, Deep Dive. Then let's go on to number seven, Dom Pierre. Now we're getting into the heavy side of things. This is yet another wine um, and champagne uh, uh, economic simulation. We've had a lot of these over the years, ever since, you know, the super mega hit of Viticulture. And of course, you know, uh, you know the very well-loved and respected super heavy one, Vinos. And um, it's interesting. I would say Dom Pierre kind of exists somewhere in between those two pillars of winemaking Euro board games. It's heavier and more complex and more crunchy, a richer, more robust simulation than Viticulture from Stonemeyer Games, but not quite as heavy as Vinos. Um, and I would say it's uh, I also I think I still would prefer to play Vinos because if I'm looking for, I mean, I don't really care about making wine, and Vinos is one of the all-time greats from Vita Lasarda. But if I were looking for, if I wanted a wine game that won was heavier and more complex and more um, you know, interesting stuff going on with the business simulation than what Viticulture does, um, but not as heavy as uh, Vinos, I would definitely go for this one. Also, if I was looking for a game that really focused a lot more on my personnel, the folks who work with me as I you know, have them either you know, working in the field, cultivating the grapes, or going on the road and selling the, the, the final um, drinks, you know, the champagne and the wine, to different you know, spots around the world, you really... Sp- you, your workforce is more personified in this game. It's a little bit less 
abstract. So there's really some strong points for this. Now, at the end of the day, like I said, I, you know, making alcoholic beverages is just not a uh, subject matter that interests or entices me. And honestly, I think that's about the only thing that holds me back from rating this higher because I haven't mentioned it, but certainly the coolest thing about Dom Pierre, and you can watch my run through to see it in action, the action selection mechanism this game has is phenomenal, like world-class stuff. And I wish I could see it brought into a subject matter that Jen and I would find more interesting. Honestly, I'd rather be subsistence-level farming in medieval Europe using this action selection mechanism, and I think I would enjoy it a lot more. It's just I don't care about making spirits, alcoholic beverages of any sorts, and that's almost kind of a turnoff because the gameplay itself is fantastic. Absolutely phenomenal for number seven, Don Pierre. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Then we go on to number six on the list, Marvel Damage Control, which, oh my gosh, I was so excited about this. A deck builder that focuses equally on building up your deck, but also um, ripping your deck apart because you get all these really great cards as you work at a, um, a demolished city block in New York City after Marvel superheroes and villains had gone toe-to-toe and had a big epic fight and they'd left a um, a ruined, rubble-strewn city behind. And then they just sail off, they arrest the villains, the heroes go off back to their normal lives, and we are construction crews left to clean up the damage done. And um, it's really cool. In the center of the board, you've got this big pile of face-down cards that you don't know exactly what it is, um, and you're you're kind of digging through the rubble, finding um, you know artifacts from the fight, you know, uh, parts of villainous costumes and, you know, all all kinds of neat stuff that just is full of Marvel Comics lore that's absolutely awesome. You're grabbing these things and adding them to your deck so you can play them in the future and you can use these artifacts to help clean up. Now, the game's going to keep going until all of the rubble has been cleared away, which is how we build our decks, by grabbing all this stuff. But here's the thing. These cards we're getting are very powerful. They they help us in a lot of different ways. They recruit heroes to help us in our efforts to clean up the city. And, um, you know, do all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, you need to vault those artifacts, which is a special action you can only do off of certain cards that lets you take the artifact out of your deck, put it in the vault, and turn it into points. And that is always a fantastic system, you know, deck construction and destruction, knowing when to give up this card because it was so important to you. It's really powerful, but I got to give it up so I can actually get some points at the end of the game. Um, And man, I mean, uh, Shay and I, we 
talked about this for like 20 minutes. We both really respect the design. I've only scratched the surface. There are so many cool, interesting, quirky approaches to deck building um, and incredibly strongly thematically woven in to a side of the Marvel Comics universe that you don't normally see. You know, just regular working Joes trying to clean up the mess that the heroes leave behind. And it's fantastic. My only complaint, the only reason this didn't make it into like my top three of the month is... Everything I just said is awesome. Unfortunately, a lot of those cool special powers you get off of those artifacts you're cleaning out of the rubble-strewn site have take-that type stuff, where you're stealing from other players or messing with each other or just creating chaos or, you know, hey, I see something you really want. Oh, I'm not even going to take it for myself. I'm just going to destroy it to get some influence that I can spend later. And um, you're constantly messing with each other. So... For a Care Bear player like me, I was a little heartbroken because I loved everything else about this game. I wish they would have come up with a different way that didn't require all of the, oh, it'd be a real shame for you if that thing disappeared. Boom, I disappear it. Um, I mean, man, it has a very good solo mode, I think. And if that solo mode had been modified to turn into a cooperative mode, yeah, this would have been in my top three easily. And if you don't mind, just a little bit. It's not a lot to take that. It's just a little bit, but more than Jen and I want. And that's the only thing that keeps uh, damage control out of coming out on top for me. Okay, then let's move on to number uh, five is what we've got next up. Ah, the Forges of Ravenshire. This is another one that's going to be um, crowdfunding next month. I don't think, yeah, this video has gone up yet. But Jen and I played it. We filmed it. If you are a backer of the show on Patreon, you've already seen it. Because backers get to see my videos days, weeks, sometimes even months ahead of time. That they stay unlisted, but the uh, ba- the uh, resident level backers on um, Patreon get to watch. So you could have already seen this, depending on who you are. But don't worry, it will be, the video will be going up in March. And this is an excellent excellent engine building game. I was really impressed by this one quite a bit. And so was Jen. We're getting into the best of the best territory month now, folks. And um, at its heart, it's a worker placement game that kind of borrows from the brilliant system that we saw in Shem Phillips's Raiders of the North Sea. You know that idea that, oh, I've got a little Viking. I put him out and do an action, and then I pick another Viking off the board and do that action. That's the core of this game, too. Except instead of just using meeples, where it is a dice worker placement game. So at the beginning of every round, we're rolling dice. We care both about the number and the color of the dice. I place that die out, do a thing. I grab another die off the board to do that other thing. And that's just the beginning, folks. Because then um, there's a whole second phase of the game where all... I mean, because ultimately, I'm going to have, at the beginning of my turn, at the game of a round, three dice I'm putting out on the board. I'm going to recover three different dice back to my own board. Um, then for the second half of the turn, those dice I recovered from the board, I use in an additional worker placement game because I can send them to work on my own um, shop. Because uh, I've got, and again, the colors and the numbers both have uh, you know different meanings for me. And if all that weren't enough, every time I recover a die from the board, not only do I get to do whatever that action was, you know, and these are all standard actions, gather resources, convert resources to other resources, hire helpers who can help you do things, you know, typical Euro, um, you know, economic simulation type stuff. But the interesting thing is, 
uh, you know, I keep saying the colors are important. Say I end up grabbing a, um, a purple five. I really care about the number five because I need a number five to activate my forge in the second half of the game, but I really care about the purple even more because when I bring that die back, I get to activate my purple guild and all of the upgrades I've made to the purple guild will get triggered. And this, so this is a game where there are three colors. You have three different engines you are generate, you are working on developing at the same time. And every time I grab a yellow die, I'm going to run my yellow engine. Every time I grab a green die, I'm going to run my green engine. And so with every die I place, there's a lot to consider, but with every die I recover, there's even more. And this game just works beautifully. Super silky smooth over very quick. It's only four rounds. So it moves, moves, moves. And both Jen and I were really blown away by it. Number five on the list, the Forges of Ravenshire. Okay, then let's move on to number four, a uh, uh, Age Contrived, which is um, another very, very cool kind of fantastic. Uh, is it a worker placement game? Not really. I'm not quite sure what to call it. Basically, your player board uh, is an action selection mechanism that is a conveyor belt. And on your turn, you are either going to activate one of the tiles on your conveyor belt to do various actions like send your deity... I mean, we are a god in a fantasy universe, you know, trying to... um, Oh, what do you call it? Uh... Um, or, uh, you know, impress the mortals of the land so that they will worship us. And by trying to make a better world for them, you know, contributing to the pillars of society and all of that. But basically to get worshippers, i.e. victory points. And so a big part of this game is we have these energy tokens. They have different symbols on them. They mean they have different special powers. And a lot of our actions are sending those energy tokens out into the world to help build monuments, to help contribute to the betterment of human society. And, um, but uh, the uh, the player board has two rows. All the energy tokens on the bottom are the energy I spend to trigger actions. The energies on the top are the energies that I can send out into the world. And on my turn, I'm either going to activate one of my five different actions by um, consuming one of my bottom row energies, and often that means I will send one of my top row energies out to the world to do an action, either moving my avatar around the world or building things or whatever. Um, but the thing is, that's one type of turn. The other type of turn I can take is sliding a new tile full of energy into the conveyor belt, moving everything else over. And this game is all about clever timing, trying to get those energy tokens into the right place at the right time so that, oh, this one's over here in the fourth column. That means I can activate it to pick up the uh, energy that's um, in my second column and send it where I need it to go. It's a very fun puzzle of um, action and resource manipulation at the same time because these energy tokens are are my action, what I use to trigger actions and what I use to, you know, take control of the world. And it's just so smart. You can watch my run through uh, to see how it works. Uh, Jen and I were very, very impressed by this. The production is absolutely amazing. And for folks, uh, several people have asked me, oh, they, you know, for an extra, I forget what it is, you know, 20, 30 bucks, you can get the deluxe version that has these cool metallic spring-loaded player boards. And um, should they get that? And I'm like, no, you, you don't need to get them. Just the base game that has dual-layer player boards where, um, you know, the conveyor belt is just kind of constrained without, you know, the, the, you know, the, the cool spring-loaded trapdoor system. That's just a fun little thing if you've got a bit of extra money in your pocket and you, you want to just have something kind of special and whimsical. But you don't need it, folks, um, because Age of Contrived, you don't come there for those gimmicks. You come to this game for the really super impressive gameplay with an incredible action selection system, quite
quite unlike anything else I've ever seen. Uh, it just goes to show how amazing conveyor belts are. And if you want to know more, again, check out my video to see. I think you will be as impressed as we were. Okay, then let's move on to number three on the list. Fuse Countdown. Now, this is a sequel slash expansion to Fuse. You can buy it as a standalone, or you can, if you already own Fuse, you can buy it as an expansion and you know combine the... Re the uh, components from the two games, but I gotta say, folks, I already love Fuse. I think Fuse is one of the greatest real-time board games of all time. It's so brilliant. Clean and simple and pure and elegant. Everybody racing against the clock to draft dice and defuse a bunch of bombs. Um, and, you know, that's still the core game. But this new expansion adds new types of dice, like dual-color dice, and um, a bunch of new types of bomb cards to defuse that are really, really cool. But all that is secondary. The most important thing, the reason that if you could only buy Fuse or Fuse Countdown, I would strongly recommend Fuse Countdown. It replaces the penalty because if we're working together and we're trying to draft cards and defuse bombs and we get to a point where, oh, we can't play all, uh, not draft cards, we're trying to draft the dice and no, we can't play all the dice of a given round. The original Fuse had this relatively complex system where, okay, well now we got to roll that die and then everybody has to jettison a die and it was, it always kind of was just a bit clunky in an otherwise just almost perfectly wonderful, smooth, elegant game. That system has been jettisoned and replaced with and a new type of card called spark cards. If um, in a given round, not all the dice are taken, then um, players end up having to take spark cards, which become like extra little miniature bombs that we have to defuse. You can't win the game unless you've made it through the bomb deck and nobody has any spark cards left. And this is such a monstrously huge improvement to a game that I already loved. And I, I loved Fuse so much, I didn't even realize it needed improving. But now it would be very, very hard for me to go back to regular Fuse, which is why I'm very happy that this also Stance as an expansion, so I can just combine the two games. Fuse Countdown makes Fuse even better, and I thought it was already next level fantastic. But go figure. Um, designer Kane Klenko, he went back to maybe his best game to date and made it even better. And um, I had a very, very time here at this very table filming a run through, a recluse for exclusive for backers of the show on YouTube or Patreon. Had a really great time doing it, and um, that's not the only thing I filmed this month. But at this point, it's the only thing I'm talking about because of all the weird timing of February. Anyway, folks, Fuse Countdown, fantastic. Number three of the month. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Okay, let's move on then to number two. Uh -huh, there it is. Tapestry, Fantasies, and futures. I'm on the road, folks. Uh, my internet is a little spotty. Uh, actually, I've been really impressed that the uh, browser's been working as well as it has up to now. Uh, it was our first little glitch, but there they are, Amy and Maggie doing a very, very fun... Oh my gosh, they actually played through an entire two-player game of Tapestry to demonstrate all the cool new functionality in uh, the Fantasies and Futures expansion, and I've got to say, I love it. It's not my favorite. I still think the, um, the second expansion, Arts and Architecture... Uh, which I always called Arts and Artifacts by accident when I talked about it in a previous ra monthly roundup. I, I think that's the best one, but I would say this is definitely the second best one. And you know, bringing in a multiverse of possibilities because all the new tapestry cards, all the new um, character, you know, civilizations and cities and texts, all of them have to do with either cool science fiction concepts or very, very cool fant fantasy concepts. Um, and they bring in such a breath of fresh, new, wonderful 
ideas to the game. Not all of them are implemented as well as I would have hoped. Uh, and Amy and Maggie and I, we talked about this at great length when we put up a co-hosted Final Thoughts video. After they did the full two-hour run-through, they got up at 6 in the morning to talk to me um, because, of course, we were intercontinental. And we uh, talked about what we loved, what could have been a little better. But overall, I am so happy to have this. This is officially the final expansion for Tapestry, which makes me sad. But I do think Tapestry went out with, uh, not with a whimper, not with a bang necessarily, but still with a wonderful, wonderful um, whole a goodie box full of fun new elements uh, that really improve the game in a lot of fun ways. Uh, so much so that it is number two of the month, Tapestry fantasies and futures but folks the number one game of the month you might be able to guess what it is if you were paying attention earlier uh because it's a callback it is point city okay here we go Th remember i was talking earlier about maggie and amy and i working on a two game campaign that was coming from flat out games in march and uh, the first one was deep dive which i thought was a very impressive push your luck game just a little bit too lightweight for me and jen i think even though it had such a brilliant solo mode uh, but anyway it didn't rank quite as high because i'm just looking for heavier games this is the heavier game folks point city from again Molly Johnson, I might have said Molly Shannon earlier, if so, I apologize, Stan Stankowitz and Sean Melville, I think I got it right that time, um, the Flat Out crew, this is their unofficial sequel to a game they put out a few years ago called Point Salad, which was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, It was a hugely popular game, so simple, so clean, so elegant, so fun. Um, and this game takes some of the ideas of Point Salad, but really ratchets up the depth and complexity. This is a SimCity-style building game where there is a common uh, grid of 4x4 four four cards, and on your turn, you are going to grab two of those cards that are adjacent to each other, above and below, or left and right. And the cards are all two-sided. They either provide resources that you need to build up these uh, new uh, attractions to your city, or... They provide the um, the attractions themselves, buildings and you know um, residences, all kinds of stuff. And so you're often grabbing cards you know, to try to get the resources you need for something else. But you don't just grab one card; you always have to grab two. And so it is an entwined drafting game. This is like the ultimate. I've been talking about entwined drafting for a long time. Games like some of the other ones from um, you know. Uh, like a Verdant from the same group where, oh, there's two things, or Cascadia. There's two things together. There's a bunch of bundles. Which one do I take? This is a grid of bundles. There's what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There, I don't know how many, uh, you know, in a four by four, how many pairs can you make of cards next to each other? You have to pick from one of those bundles. And it's a very, very fun and satisfying series of decisions to make. It's got a great solo mode. My run-through that's coming will show the solo mode. Amy and Maggie and I will talk about it. I haven't heard what they think about the game. I bet they love it as much as I do. But we will find out when the actual um, you know, run-throughs go up in time for the, uh, for the Kickstarter campaign. But yeah, I am blown away by this thing. I have only played it solo so far because I had it when Jen was off in Thailand. Did I mention that right at the beginning? Jen was two weeks in Thailand. So I had to play it solo. But Amy and Maggie are bringing it back. And when we meet them at Dice Tower West, I will finally get to play it with Jen. I bet you she is going to love it to pieces too. It's absolutely fantastic. I, I think it is the is it the best thing that Flat Out has brought out yet? I mean, Flat Out wasn't directly related to Calico. But it's getting up there towards Calico level stuff, folks. This game... I cannot stress enough how amazing it is, and you'll be able to see my run-through of it and see and hear me and uh, Amy and Maggie talking about it uh, next month in March um, you know, when all this stuff goes live. And uh, Although, of course, again, 
If you are a backer of the show on Patreon, you could already watch these videos and check them out right now. But they'll be coming to everybody soon, and you'll see just what makes Point City so absolutely gobsmackingly fantastic. I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Okay. Okay, folks, it is the next day, and uh, that was the list. Hopefully you enjoyed it. (laughs) Boy, things are getting a little out of control on the road, but that's okay. We're having a good time. But uh, before we sign out, you may notice a whole bunch of names flying by. Either right over there or right over there. I'm not quite sure um, you know, what's going on here. Everything's topsy-turvy. But those are folks who support the show, either on Patreon, YouTube, or Twitch. And I want to say a huge thank you to all of you folks. Hopefully you're enjoying all the perks you get and all of that. And also, as is now my tradition, I'm going to give a special thanks to some of them. Specifically, uh, Adrian Dong, Aista Samuelonis, Ben Blake Wilson, Charles Hill, Cheryl Howard, Chris Arnold, Chris Steele, Cobra Misfit, Dan Halligan, Dave Salvatore, Davey Davis, uh, Demois 2030 CE, Dennis Inti, Dr. Foo, Eric Z, Graham Wallace, Hans, Peter Buck, Heather Rudarian. Uh, am, I, is my, am I looking away from all of them? I think I might be. Whatever. Um, Heather, Heather, Heather Rudarian, Jay Huber, Jeff Glazen, Jeff Young, Jerry Reese, Jimmy Schroeder, uh, Hanson, uh, Cameron Zafar, Caitlin Albert, Kevin Bertram, Kisa Griffin, uh, Lex, Marilyn, Marianne Gonzalez, uh, Marlon Cruz, El Crosso, uh, Mike Bloom, Mom Gamer, Nicholas Elkins, Nicola Bell, Selma Lee, Sharon Laubach, Stacy Lee, Steve Ercolini, Tom Cohen, and Victory BHG. Thanks to all of you, and thanks to everybody else who supports the show. And folks, thanks just for watching. Hopefully you enjoyed this. We'll be back again next month, and uh, let me know what you think of all those games. What did you play in the uh, month of February? But I am literally behind the wheel, so Jen's going to be back in a second, and we're going to keep on driving south. Hope to see everybody at the Dice Tower West Convention or somewhere out there on the road. Have a very nice day, everybody. Talk to you later. So long. Uh, bye bye